Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Got a Bible, go with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 27, Acts Chapter 27 is where we're going to begin. I want to welcome those that are streaming live this morning. Thank you so much for streaming with us. We pray the Spirit of God ministers to you. If you came in today and did not receive a message card upon your entrance, you can raise your hand. And one of our leaders, one of our ushers there in the back would love to serve you. If that is you, you can just raise your hand and they will help you out. All right. So we are again this weekend continuing in our series, No Fear November. And over the last few weeks and months, uh, you all know um, 2020 is 2020, right? How will we describe 2020 in uh, a GIF file come 2030, right? What will we say to the next generation? Uh, I saw yesterday a meme where uh, I guess a, they gave a, a black bear and then some gorillas, some nunchucks in one of the local zoos, and they had nunchucks, and they said, no one's getting out of 2020 alive. You know, so it, each and every week, it, it becomes something different, right? And yet in the midst of all of that, uh, even our own church folks have been going through some difficult things. There have been deaths in the family. There have been difficult diagnoses uh, and diagnosis that happened to individuals and family members that are connected to this church. And as I've been watching as the pastor of this congregation, this transpire over the last few months, I have been carrying a burden in prayer for so many people that are going through that kind of season. And I just feel when I go to the Lord in prayer, I have been feeling this strong sense and this strong request welling up in my heart. And what I've, been, what I've been sensing welling up in my heart as I go to the Lord in prayer is that the Holy Spirit would dispense a measure of peace that surpasses all understanding in that person's heart and mind. That's, that's the prayer that's been welling up in me, is that no matter how bad the storm is, God, would you dispense a measure of peace, right, in this life, in this family's life. So today, I want to preach here in week number three on peace, the peace of God. And the title of today's message is Irenae, Irenae. And uh, you'll see there at the top of your card and on the slide, both the uh, English transliteration and then also the Greek word Irenae. Of course, our New Testament was written in what we call Koine Greek. And we're going to talk quite extensively about this word Irenae today as we walk through Acts chapter 27. Now, a big portion of this chapter, it is a story of a season of Paul's life where he had been arrested and he's on his way to Rome. And as he's on his way to Rome, he is hopping ship to ship, one after the other, and the reason he has to do so is because the storms keep worsening. So he would hit one storm, then the next storm would come, and the next storm would come. And it's such an incredible picture of what peace is supposed to look like when the storms of life are raging around us. Now, before we read Acts chapter 27, what I want to do today is I want to give to you two different definitions of the word peace, okay? Two different definitions of the word peace. Because oftentimes in Christian ministry, you'll hear pastors, preachers, leaders talk about the shalom of God. And that is right, rightfully so. But the shalom is not what's mentioned in the New Testament. The shalom is a Hebrew Old Testament word that has a... I would say somewhat of a, a, a vast different definition. Some would say it's a slight different definition than the New Testament definition of peace. But let's define these for a few moments. 
The Old Testament version of peace is what I, or what the, the Hebrew language calls shalom. This is a definition of that. An accord which guarantees a lack of fighting. An accord which guarantees a lack of fighting. Like when the Bible says King Solomon had peace on all his borders, the reason he had peace on all his borders, shalom, is because he had negotiated with every surrounding king, don't fight us, okay? So the Bible transcribes or gives or, or prescribes a word for that, and that is shalom. Is that it, it's, a, it's a peace treaty, it's an accord that guarantees I, have, I do not have to fight with neighboring countries. So he had peace. What was his peace? It was an accord which guaranteed a lack of fighting. Now, the New, Defin New Testament definition of peace is different. And I believe it is God's goal for us as his children, and that is this. The New Testament definition, irene, is a strong sense of calm no matter what. A strong sense of calm no matter what. Now, most of us actually think we have a say in what kind of peace we get to have. We actually think we can come to God and tell God the peace we want, right? We think we can say to God, I choose peace number one, God. I choose Old Testament shalom, right? And the kind of peace that guarantees a lack of fighting in my life. And what we are saying to God when we say that, we're actually saying to God this, I want a life, God, without storms, that's the kind of peace I want. But the problem with that is that's not the New Testament promise. The New Testament promise out of the mouth of Jesus, our Lord said, you're going to have storms. You're going to have troubles. Okay, That's not up for debate. There's storms and there's trials and there's tribulations coming your way. But take heart. Remember, I preached it two weeks ago. I have overcome the world, he said in John 16. So there's going to be storms in your life. There are going to be trials in your life. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, it's very exciting to hear Jesus say, I have overcome the world. But you can never forget that he also said there would be difficulty in this life. So I would say today's message, if I could put it this way, is supposed to serve as a, as a calibration sermon. I want today to calibrate us in our own lives to this. But the, but the question is not whether or not we will have storms. That's not up for debate. Jesus shut that one down. He said it's going to be tough. Following me, it's going to be challenging. The question is, will you have peace as you walk through those storms? That's the question. So let's walk through Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 13. Let me give you the background. Paul in verse 10 had just told us, I've been on many boats. I've been going through the Mediterranean Sea. And the storms keep worsening. Storm after storm. And this is the time of the year, by the way, when all the sailors knew, very seasoned sailors, you don't, you don't, you don't navigate the Mediterranean Sea. Um, still to this day, you don't navigate the Mediterranean Sea about two months out of the year. You especially did not before the Industrial Revolution, right? And so there were these two months that you were not supposed to be out at sea because of the absolutely brutal conditions. And so Paul said, we should not go. He tries to convince them it will not end well for us. That's what he says in verse 10. We should not get on the ship. He goes and begins in verse 13. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. In other words, the storm was supposed to be worse than what they see, so they thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly. My God, if there's ever a text that communicates what life on earth is like. But the weather changed abruptly. 
changed in an instant. They thought the light south wind was going to be navigatable, right? I was going to be able to navigate this. But the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength called a nor'easter burst across the island and blew us out to sea. Point number one, peace is tested in moments of change. Peace is tested in moments of change. Here you have a seasoned captain. The weather was supposed to be worse than it was. They see a light wind and they say, we got this. We can take this. We got it. We've done a whole lot worse before. We've navigated some seas that were twice as bad as this. Let's head out and set sail. And in just a few moments, we're going to see just how bad things get, all right? It's going to be anything but what they expected. But the weather, the Bible said, changed abruptly. Now, that phrase reminds me so well of so many times in my life where things were going just fine, and in a moment, everything changed. Not a couple of days. We're talking about a couple of seconds. The weather changes abruptly, right? There have been times where I felt like, you know what, I'm in a great season, to all of a sudden, within a couple of hours, feeling like I was entering into one of the darkest seasons of my life, right? This is not just weeks and months of change. This is on an instant kind of change, on a dime. Why? Because things change abruptly. Now, I want to speak to a type of person in this room or maybe streaming live today, and this isn't for everyone in the room who's experiencing a storm season right now, but this is for a few of us who may be going through the storm for a particular reason, and that reason is a word. It is the word pride. It's the word pride. Now, if you say, well, Craig, I'm in a storm season right now. Am I going through it because I'm walking in pride? Listen to me. If you're even asking that question today, it lets you know you're not, okay? You, you got to understand that. If you're even asking the question, am, am I going through what I'm going through because of pride? That's a pretty good indicator that's not you. This is for those of us in the room who go, hey, yeah, I'm in a storm season right now because it's not, but it's not because I'm in pride. Like, that's not me. Uh, yes, it is you, okay? It is you. If you won't even check to see if it's you, it's you. If you won't pause enough to ask if it's me, it's me. Remember this, remember this. Pride always precedes the departure of peace. Pride always precedes the departure of peace. Those who walk in pride always struggle to have a sense of peace. They don't have peace. It seems to be outside their grasp. And too often when life is going well for us, we miss the warning signs of an impending fall. When things seem to be going well in our lives, we miss. We blow right through the warning signs that a fall is about to happen. Pride has this unique way of blinding us. Just like spotlights blind us. Just like pride blinds us. And this is why people who have some seen some kind of success in life... Quite honestly, they need to go home and change some more diapers and mow their own lawn and wash some more dishes because you in those moments need to keep in touch with your roots so you don't miss the warning signs of a fall. Listen to me. If you're heading down the wrong path, God loves you enough to give you a warning. Ask me how I know. Okay? If you're walking in self-confidence, he loves you enough to give you some warning signs. I used to tell people, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Right? Because one of the two is going to happen. 
Does anybody know what it's like to try to pull off your calling without God's help? It's disastrous. Absolutely disastrous, right? The worst possible ending. Listen, 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 listen. This is what pride tries to do. Pride says, I got this. I got this. I got this. My boat is unsinkable. God, even if you have me in this storm for longer than I want, it's okay. I'm tough enough to handle it. My boat is unsinkable. Listen, if you ever talk to God like that, you need to know one thing. He about to break your ship. I don't know how else to say it any more lovingly. Your ship is about to be destroyed and it won't be from the enemy. It'll be from the God who is resisting you. Who's resisting you. Because he tells us in his word, I will resist you. I will oppose the proud. So anything you try to put your hands to, it's gonna be a disaster for you. Because I will be the one opposing what you're attempting to do. Pride says, I got this. Man, I got it. Peace doesn't talk like that. Peace talks like this. God's got this. Pride says, I got this. Peace says, God's got this. Listen to me. When pride enters the conversation, peace leaves the communicator. Peace leaves the communicator. Why? Because pride's based on me. Pride's based on my strengths, not his strengths. It's based on my accomplishments, not his accomplishments. And there are times where some of us are walking in pride and that's why we experience the resistance that we are experiencing. Look at verse 15. We're going to continue to read. Now, this is an easy verse to to read down. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. Now, if we're just reading quickly, quickly glancing through this passage, we're not going to get hung up on that seemingly insignificant detail, but you need to hear me just for a moment. Let's paint the picture. The storm they're in, the front that they're facing, the sailors had a term for it called the Euroclidon. E-U-R-O-C-L-Y-D-O-N. Euroclidon. They still call them to this day the Euroclidon. They're typhoons. And they're typhoons that exists there in the Mediterranean Sea, a nor'easter. So this wasn't, listen, understand, just big waves. This was a typhoon, people, a massive storm, and the the sailors are trying to sail straight into the headwind, like right into the headwind. And there's so much difficulty so that finally they throw up their hands and they say it's useless to try to fight it again. We're going to let the wind take us where the wind wants to take us. Now listen to me. This is such an important principle for those of us who have a tendency to walk in pride. And we think we can do this. I got this. We experience a headwind. And here's what we say. When people like me or a pastor or a leader comes up to them and says, hey man, how's it going? They just say, man, I'm just experiencing so much resistance right now. Man, I'm just going up against the devil right now. The enemy just keeps fighting me. Let me help all of us understand something. Hear me. Okay. Not every headwind is from the devil. Not every headwind is from your enemy. I can prove it scripturally. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So he opposes those that are self-dependent. Now, when the enemy opposes you, watch this, he's like a linebacker that will stand up across from you and he will come in to tackle you and he will put his face mask on your chest and he has one goal. He wants to break your sternum so that he puts you out of the game forever. But when God opposes you, he's like the same linebacker. Here's the only difference. He lines up across from you and he takes his head and he shoves it into your chest and he picks you up. And when you get laid out in that moment, he wraps his arms around you and then he slowly drops you to the ground and he kisses you on the forehead. 
That's how God opposes you. And if I'm not tempered enough, a lot of times in mature faith, I, I'm unable to perceive correctly who is actually opposing me in this moment. What's actually happening in this situation? What's going on? When God opposes you, he will do it in a way that's different than the way the enemy opposes you. Listen to me, not every headwind is from the enemy. Sometimes God is the one resisting us. And anytime God is resisting me, there is one reason why, my pride. My pride, because God resists the proud. Now the sailors finally get smart enough to say, you know what, it's not good to go against the wind. And they throw up their hands. They give themselves to the wind. Now here's one of the ways you know you have peace. Are you ready? You know you have peace when your hands don't have to be on the steering wheel of your life anymore. Now to get us to that point takes stubborn people a long time. I'm not saying you surrender your life to Jesus. Now you can surrender your life to Jesus 15 years ago and it may take 15 more years before you get your hands off the wheel. I'm not talking about you made a decision or confessed or... Nah, that's not what I'm talking about. When your hands don't have to be in control, this is one of the fastest ways to experience peace in your life is to take your hands off the wheel. Because here's the important lesson the sailors teach us. Ready? When it becomes fruitless to struggle, it is wisdom to yield. When it becomes fruitless to struggle, it becomes wisdom to yield. There are times, no doubt, God asks us to struggle in the storm. Craig, stick in it. Struggle in the storm. But there's sometimes we're struggling against God and not with God. Those are two different scenarios. How do we know it's become fruitless to struggle? Are you ready? When you are wrestling with God over what you want, not what he wants. Hear me, hear me. And, and, and rightly divide this word. Jacob wrestled with God, didn't he? Why was he wrestling with God? Because God already wanted to give him a blessing. He already wanted it. So he wrestled with the angel all night long. That's a different struggle when we wrestle with God and it's over what we want rather than what God wants. And if that's you, if you find yourself in a wrestling match with God over your will, your way, don't forget this. The minute it becomes fruitless to struggle, it is wisdom to take your hands off of the wheel and yield fully to the Lord. To yield fully. So he goes on in verse 18 and, and look what he says. He says, the next day is... Gale force winds continued to batter the ship. The crew began throwing cargo overload. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and they threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days. If you underline in your Bible, that's probably what you want to underline. Many days. Blotting out the sun. It was so bad that the sun couldn't shine through the daylight. And at night, the stars. Until at last, all hope was gone. Here's point number two. Peace is tested in months, not just moments. Aren't you encouraged? <laughs> Peace is tested in months, not just moments. Not just moments. Because see, the reality is, some of us are in the middle of a storm and we have expected it would be over quickly. And some of us are so frustrated with God because it's longer than expected. My therapist, who helped me tremendously, my therapist would tell me, that's the thing he would consistently remind me, you have to take every due date and assigning date 
off of the calendar. And you have to give in to whatever God is asking you to walk through. You're going to have to surrender. You're going to have to stop putting an end date on when you think the actual expectation or the expected end should come and you're going to have to surrender. If you establish that your peace will be tested in moments and not months, then what happens is you will become frustrated with God. But listen to me closely, ready? Any test that God gives you is more about the outcome than the amount of time it takes for you to complete that test. Let me say it this way. The Israelites took over 40 years to do a journey that should have taken 40 days. That tells me that who you are when you get there is more important to God than when you get there. That is to say, God's desire for the test is not for you to arrive in any certain timeline. It's for you to become a different person in the midst of whatever test is happening. Just ask the Israelites when they left Egypt. God didn't say ever. Read the text. He never said it would take 40 years. He never intended it to take that long. They made it that long. They made it last 40 years. Why? Because it was about an outcome. And God will not be gypped on his outcome. Pastor Craig, are you saying right now that some of the storms in my life can be expedited if I pass the test like God wants? I'm 100% saying that. I'm not saying all storms are like that. Hear me. That can be dangerous. I'm not saying all of them, but I am saying that there are storms in our life when the outcome God desires is the outcome you give him, the wind will stop. The waves will stop beating. Not all of them, but definitely some of them. Listen to me. The longer the test goes, remember this, the greater the chances of fear. The longer the test lasts, the greater the chances of fear will begin to experience fear in your life. But be encouraged. Here's the, to me the most powerful thing about peace. is Peace is the best weapon to be used when it looks like you're about to lose. Let let me explain to this. When the enemy comes in to try and scare me and to try to drum up a whole scenario and to try to give me anxiety about what a future is, an expected end, and he's trying to do everything he can in your psyche to make it worse, one of my favorite things to do in that moment is to take peace and use it as a weapon. Do you realize that's why it's listed in Ephesians 6? When's the last time you heard a preacher tell you that peace is a weapon? What, What are their feet shod with? The gospel of peace. It's a weapon. It's an absolute, absolute weapon. So even in the midst of the storm, for you to pick up a weapon that's best used against your enemy when it looks like you're about to lose. He's trying to scare you. That's what the enemy does. He tries to scare you to get you to not even play the game, to not even stay involved in the game. And the longer the length of the storm, the more peace you're going to need. So, so keep going to verse 21. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, man, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. Like, I love Paul. I love it, y'all. Look, they're in a typhoon. They're throwing stuff overboard. Paul's walking around the deck with his hands out like this. Like, did you guys not read your Bibles? Oh, it wasn't written yet. Uh, Ten verses ago, I told you in Acts 27 to not get on this ship. I told you so. What did I tell you? What did I tell you in, when, we, when we were on the dock? What did I say to you folks? I said, don't go out here to this Mediterranean Sea. It wouldn't end well 
for us. But then he goes on and look what he says. But take courage. His tone changes. Watch this. Watch this, church. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. <laughs> Isn't that so encouraging? Woo! But doesn't that sound just like God and how he speaks? Doesn't that sound like God? Right? We kind of expect God would say, not only will you survive this storm, but everything's going to be okay. Right? You're not going to lose the ship, sailors. In fact, because you faithfully navigated this storm, I'm going to restore and give you eight more ships. That's what we wish God would say. But what he actually says is, hey, there's good news. You're going to survive the storm, but it's going to cost you everything. And you're like, I don't know how to take that. Is that good news? Is that bad news? Now, why did Paul have that confidence? Look at verse 23. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve. Quick point here, not a part of the sermon. Notice we belong before we serve because our identity precedes our activity in the kingdom of God. And if we get a, the one I serve before the one I belong, then I'll operate out of an empty shell with no identity in Jesus. So it's an angel to whom I belong and to whom I serve. What did he do? He stood beside me. Where did he stand? Beside me. That leads us to point number three. Peace comes from his presence. Peace comes from his presence. Peace comes from God's presence. Peace comes from the presence of Almighty God. If you're here today and you say, it's been a long time, Craig, since I've experienced peace, here would be my first question if I sat down and had a conversation with you. How long has it been since you've been alone in the presence of God? How long? The greater the storm, the higher the raging waves, the more non-negotiable it needs to be that you have consistent time alone in the presence of the Lord. That it's a non-negotiable. Listen to me, you will go crazy without it. You'll go crazy. Because peace comes from His presence. Now sometimes we feel like He's not been as present on His end of the deal when we're in our storms, right? Right? Like, he should have been more present in this storm. Like, in those moments, here's what we start to saying. I've done it, so I'm just going, I'll preach to me, but I'll preach to me by preaching. I'll preach to you by preaching to me. So, so we say things like this to God. Hey, God, why are you abandoning me right now? Like, why is it now? Well, where have you gone? And here's how God responds. I really believe God responds this way to me. He said, Craig, you need to understand, son, I never left you. I promised I would never leave you nor forsake you. I didn't get up from the table, son. Did you? It's been 11 days since you and I were in, our, in your office together. It's been 15 days since we've been together alone. Craig, you want to know why you feel crazy? You want to know why you have no peace? Because you've not gotten along with me. Son, you can't get peace at the grocery store. Son, you can't get peace at the library. I know the librarian would tell you to be quiet and everyone else to be quiet around you, but you can't get peace outside of the presence of time alone with God. Impossible. You can't get it. Peace comes from his presence. And what happens is we stray for too long and it's God's way of saying to us, come and be with me, come be with me, come be with me, come along with me, you will find my peace. Here's one of the things that happens when you stay outside of God's presence in a storm. We will eventually start staring too much at our problems. 
and we gravitate to that which we behold. What we behold gets amplified or magnified. Listen, this is, the most, this is one of the most beautiful things about coming into God's presence consistently. Okay, My son and daughter, the oldest two, you, you guys know we have three. When my son and daughter, several years ago, we started getting into staring contest. Knox and Marley, right? And so I, they, my, my kids started to learn, my two oldest, I can do magical things with my eyes, right? And so they started learning very quickly in order to beat me, they had to team up on me. Okay, So here's what would happen. Marley would say, staring contest, and she would get on the couch in front of me, and she'd look at me, and she'd get her eyes all ready and do all that she could, you know, get a straight face. And so we'd, I'd get into a staring contest with Marley, and meanwhile, Knox would get in behind his sister. And when we start our staring contest, he would, he would snap, and he would start making all kinds of noises and, and try to get me to laugh and try to make me flinch. And sometimes, to be honest with you, it worked. And then I would start a wrestling match with them and I would pin them to the ground and remind them that they're cheaters. I win, they lose. <laughs> they're still in counseling. It's okay, it's fine, you're good. Um, and I know that sounds silly, but I'm actually pointing out that is the devil's same silly attempt to distract you in the exact same way in the middle of a storm. Here's what you do. You try to go into God's presence and you're trying to fix your gaze on your father and he's around you snapping and he's trying to bring up all memories. In, in the storms, it's worse. It's, in the storms, it's like you lose all ability to focus. And so he's trying to bring up memories and he's trying, you're, you're trying to lock in your focus on a staring contest and he's snapping and he's making horrible noises with the waves and he's making the waves sound worse than they really are and the howling winds and he's trying to freak you out. I'm telling you, you gotta get away in the presence of God because we'll never have peace if I can't stop staring at my problems. I'm never going to have peace. I'll never gain the irony. The fastest way to stop staring at my problems is to get alone with my Lord and start staring at his face. To declare that, you know what? Nothing's going to stop me from looking at the face. Because listen, listen to me. Peace is the privilege of those with proper focus. Peace is the privilege of those with proper focus. He keeps in perfect Peace, the mind stayed upon him. I will never have peace when I'm focused on what God wants me to pay no attention to. It's only when I fix my gaze on the Father will I experience the peace he longs to give me. Now, from time to time, I hear people say this. I hear people say this. In the middle of a storm, they say, Having done all to stand, stand therefore. And they totally rip a little half sentence out of two other sentences right there in that text. And they really misapply the verse. Because they're saying, I've done all I can, so I'm just going to stand. And I ask them, okay, what do you do? Let me just ask you a question. What do you do when you go into God's presence? And they say, you know what, I just stand in the presence of the Lord. And I'm like, okay, that's good, but that's not the goal. Are you ready? The goal of going into God's presence isn't to stand there. It is to stare while you are there. That's the difference. It's to, to stare, to keep eyes locked. It's to fix your gaze in such a way that you get distracted by all that comes with him. You get so distracted by all that comes with God that you can't even notice what's going on around you anymore. That's the goal. And let me tell you something. When you get into his presence, that's what happens. That's really what happens. Listen to me. The evidence of fear Oh, I'm crazy, I'm, I'm thinking this, I'm afraid, I'm confused, I'm staring at all this. Listen, the evidence of fear reveals the absence of peace. It reveals the absence of peace. What are you saying, Craig? This is why perfect love, First John says, cast out all 
fear. Listen to me. Once fear is cast out, then there's room for peace. Hear me. Listen to me, church. Listen to me. Fear and peace can never coexist in the same heart. They can't. So anytime I'm in fear, there's no room for peace. There's no room for the peace of God to enter. They can't happen. It can't coexist. So what are you saying? Here's my question for you. What do you do when you get scared? When the enemy starts to freak you out and get you to focus on all the needs and he starts saying it's impossible for you to get out of this storm. You know how you got out of the first 15 storms? Well, God was kind of helping you with those, but he's not strong enough for this one. You remember how long he took with the last one? That's because his biceps were getting really, really sore and he was getting really, really weak. And oh, he'll tell you this and you'll believe it and you'll start telling the believers around you that you believe it. And you'll start saying, oh, well, he got me out of that one, but there's no way this one, because this one, it's longer, which means that he's unable to do it. He's trying. I, I really do give him the credit. He's probably trying to get the waves to stop. He's probably trying to get the water to stop welling over my ship, but he's just probably unable to. In in that moment, when he gets you all worked up, what do you do? Well, P. Craig, I, I pray. Well, that's good, but let's get a little more specific. When my kids were young and they would have nightmares, they'd have bad dreams. What do you do at five years old when you wake up with a bad dream in your house? What do you do? Where do you go? You go in mom and dad's room. And what they would do, particularly my son, is he would run into our room and he would jump into our bed without even asking as if he owned the place, right? He didn't ask mom and dad. He got right up in the middle of mom and dad as if he owned the bed. And he would snuggle up next to me, right up next to my pillow. And what would happen? Those children would sleep like champs. Why? Because they learn my presence was more powerful than any one of their fears, There is nothing more powerful than a dad's presence to a four-year-old when he's laying next to his dad with his pillow, the same pillow underneath the same sheets. And I'm here to tell you today, you got to understand, they slept like babies. Now, I didn't sleep like babies because I was kicked all night, right? But they slept like babies. Why? Because they learned the lesson that every child on the planet has to learn. Your father's presence is more powerful than all of your fears, There's not a fear you can face that is more powerful than the presence of your father. Nothing, nothing. So we run into his presence. If you're in a storm right now, don't make excuses why you've stopped spending time with him. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that. Don't even have to self-justify. You don't even have to give a reason. Here's what you do. Just go get away with him. Just go spend time with him. What does he say in Psalm 16, verse 7 and 8? Oh, it's so, so so powerful. I will bless the Lord who guides me even at my night or at night my heart instructs me. Watch this. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. Why? Why? For he is on my pillow. Better translation, I'm on his pillow. He's right beside me. We're laying next to one another. If you're going through it today, go jump in daddy's bed. Let your feet pitter-patter through the walls and through the halls of heaven today and jump in your dad's bed. And I promise you that you'll experience peace like never before. So Paul has confidence because he was experiencing the comforting presence of the Lord because God had sent him an angel. Now, let's keep going, verse 24. And he said, don't be afraid. This is what the angel said. I'm I'm, I'm kicking back into the text. The angel, remember, he said, don't be afraid. You're going to go to Rome. He said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. Watch this. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone selling with you. So take courage, for I believe God. Wow. Look what Paul just said. 
He said to the sailors, this is not the angel speaking to him anymore. This is him now speaking to the sailors. Take courage, for I believe God. That didn't hit you like it may have hit me. Take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. It's going to be just like God said. But, this is like God speaking again, we will be shipwrecked on an island. We're not going to have a ship, and we're going to be by ourselves on this island. But I believe what God said. He told me, we're going to make it. You're going to stand before Caesar. Where was this confidence coming from? It was not only just coming from the presence of God, but it was also coming from the word of the Lord that the angel came to deliver, which leads me to point number four. Peace not just comes from his presence. Peace comes from his word. Peace comes from God's word, from his word. Now listen to me. Paul says something really important that we look over so many times. The Bible says that once God speaks to him, he says to the men and the women, he says, take courage for I believe God. I think some of us right now are experiencing a lack of peace, not because we don't have a word from the Lord, but because we've stopped believing the word from the Lord. When that word from the Lord gets assaulted so many times, the temptation becomes stop believing. It's never going to happen. Let me give you an example. God told you you'd be a mama. And you thought that would be within two years. There'd be a child running around your apartment. And now it's been seven and a half years. And you believed it. And for the first time, in the first few years, you really held on to it. But the longer it goes, the more tempting it is to doubt what God spoke to you. Let me encourage you. As the storm gets worse and keeps on going longer than you expected, now more than ever, you must hold on to the word God has given you. There must be a bulldog tenacity to hold on to. One of the things I think we see in this larger story, to me, that's so powerful, and we didn't see it in the text we read, but, but four chapters earlier in Acts 23, this is not the first time God told Paul that he would be in Rome. The angel meaning. When the angel told him he would, that's not the first time God told him he would be in Rome. In Acts chapter 23, it's pretty amazing. He already tells him he's going to be in Rome. And this brings up something that we all need to remember, and I want you to hear me. Confirmation is one of the sweetest gifts God can ever give us. Everybody say confirmation. Do you realize, I don't know if you realize this, God never expects you to grope around and find your way where he's leading you to go. That's not how God leads his children. He wants you to know that you know that you know that you know. And what I've learned is that confirmation is one of the sweetest ways that he does that. Some of the biggest decisions in Meredith and I's life, absolutely biggest decisions, God has given us the most confirmation for. Why? Why? Why did he in those big decisions give us the most confirmation? Because listen, ready? Peace is confirmed through another word, but technically it's conceived in the first word. Did you follow me? So it's confirmed in a second, third, fourth word, but it actually is conceived. That is, it's given birth, embryonic beginnings when it first comes to me. When the word of God first comes to me. You go back to Acts chapter 23, verse 9 and 11, and this is what the text says. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of the religious law were Pharisees jumped in and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps the spirit of an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid that they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. Watch this. This is so powerful. Next slide. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul, for just as you have been a witness to me in Jerusalem, you must preach the good 
news in Rome as well. When God says you must do something, you need to trust that that something will happen. My God, I don't know how much, I, I see how easy this message is, but I'm, I'm praying the, the author Jesus, I can't do anything, but I'm praying the author Jesus would author faith in your heart. Right there when you're sitting, it's like a, like a Holy Spirit-sized grenade dropped in your lap today, where all of a sudden faith begins to be stirred again, that what God said back then, it will happen. It will happen. If God said it would happen, it will happen. If God said it would happen, if God put the dream in your heart, if God declared his prophetic word to you, it is because he desires to do it. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. When God says you must do something, you need to trust indeed it will happen. He will make it happen no matter how bad the storm gets that's trying to prevent what it is that needs to happen. God comes to Paul and he says, hey, you're gonna go to Rome. So why in the middle of the storm and a typhoon is Paul the only one on the ship not freaking out? Why is he the only one on the ship with peace? I'll tell you why. Because he was the only one on the ship God had spoken to multiple times. You're going to go stand before Caesar. You're going to make it to Rome. When I was 24 years old was the first time God spoke to me that I would be pastoring a church plant. I was 24 years old. It was 30 years old before it happened. And the Lord in that time for my wife and I both gave multiple confirmations. It wasn't to the very end of that process where we knew it would be, where it would be and what it would be, but it was multiple confirmations the Lord would give me. And this is what I was supposed to do with my life. This is what our family was supposed to give ourselves to. And I say, now, looking back, I understand why he confirmed it so many times. Because these storms were going to be so much worse than I expected. And he knew that the storms would actually even try to convince me that I missed God. Y'all never done that? Y'all never obeyed God? Had a couple good, little nice years? Then it gets really, really difficult, and now the storm tells you, you actually missed God. That's what you did. You've already, you've already missed that, that ship. That ship has sailed. And I've wanted to quit multiple times. And some days, the only thing keeping me from quitting in the middle of the storm were the words God had given me years ago. Years ago. Listen to me. If you're going through something and you have to make a, a big decision, you've got a big decision to make in your life right now, I'm begging you with all that's within me, let me take off the pastor hat and talk to you as a brother. I'm begging you with all that's within me, do not make the decision yourself. Find out what God wants and do that. Can I hear me? Hear me. Do not choose the better of the two options. Unless that's what God says. I, I still talk to pastors that have been ministered for 30 years and they look at options and they choose which one's better. We're talking about 30, 40 years in ministry. And they're, they're making decisions off of what's better. I'm begging you, if you have a big decision to make, don't make it yourself. Go to God and see what he wants and do that. And it may not line up on the T-chart and the pros and cons and the advantages and disadvantages. Why? Because I'm at my best. When I'm seeking after God, asking him, what is your will, God? Not trying to fulfill mine. 
Not trying to get my will in my heart and then take it to God for him to ratify it. Not trying to get my desires in my heart and then take it to God so he can approve off on it. No, God had spoken, so Paul had peace. And so many times I've had people speak to me, they're like, hey, Pastor Craig, I need a new word. How do I get a new word? How do I get a new word in this season? Let me ask you a quick question. Why would God give you a new word that you want him to give you if you won't steward his written word, which he's already given you? That's just the, that's just the question. I want you to think practically for a minute. Why, if, if I'm God, one of the fastest ways to get a new word from the Lord is to get into his word. Think about this just practically, okay? Don't even think spiritually. If you're God and you're the God of the universe and you have a word to give to your son or daughter, okay? Who makes the most likely candidate to receive a word from you? Someone who doesn't prize the words you've already spoken or someone who is addicted to the words you've already spoken? Which one is a more likely candidate for you to give the word to? Listen, there's some things I believe, honestly, right now, God wants to speak to you about where you are right now from that book that's in your lap. But hear me, here's even better news. If you will prioritize his written word, I promise you, he will give you new words all the time because you're showing yourself to be someone who prizes his voice. He knows if you prize his voice. I don't know that. You can put on a front to me and everybody else around you, but he knows if you prize it and he knows if you really wanna hear it and he knows if you uphold it and he knows if you pray for it and he knows if you give time to listen to it. He knows it. And I'm gonna tell you, if he knows you prize his voice, he will speak to you. Which leads me to the last point. Peace, real peace isn't picky. Real peace isn't picky. You might not like this one. Flip over real quick to Philippians chapter four. Paul writes really eloquently about peace, pickiness, and contentment. Really eloquently. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter four. The apostle Paul said, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I learned how to be content. Everybody say content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing, and I know how to live with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether I got a full stomach or I have an empty belly, whether I have plenty or I have little. Here is what Paul is brilliantly doing. Are you with me? He is giving us a definition for a very important word in all of our, word, all of our lives, and that word is contentment. Everybody say contentment. Let me give you a great definition for you before we close. Contentment is the ability to have peace without anything changing. That's contentment. Now, how many of us are waiting to be content until God gives us everything we're asking for? Like, I will be content once God fulfills my wish list. That's when I'll be content. That's not contentment. That's an ultimatum. Kind of feels like contentment, but it's not. That's an ultimatum. That's a request. You can do that. I'm just not saying you're going to get it when you want it. We can supplicate. We can ask for it. But real contentment is the ability to have peace even when nothing changes and the storm continues to rage on. That's what real peace looks like. So we're getting to the end of this passage. You ready? Acts 27. Verse 39 through 44, we're getting to the end. Watch what happens. So in morning dawn, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. And then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. 
the bow, bow of the ship struck fast or stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and it began to break apart. Watch this. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure. Paul was a prisoner here, by the way. Isn't it amazing how when you're a leader in God's kingdom, you can be a prisoner in the bottom and by the next day, you're the captain on top. And he's telling them what to do. They, they wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all. That's how much he trusted this prisoner. Are you with me? Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks. This is what the Lord spoke to me. I want you to hear me. The others held on to planks. They held on to debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely to Sure. This is what we have to remember about peace. When you are looking for God's peace, church, you have to give up the right to be so picky. When you're really seeking after God's peace, you got to give up the right to... Here's what I mean. Some of us, when we get into storms and we start losing things around us and losing things we never wanted to give up, when we start falling after the call of God and we have to start giving up things that we don't want to give up and things that we determined in our heart we would never have to give up, here's what happens. We have a tendency to start talking like this. God, look what, look what you're doing to me. Look what you're costing me. Look what this plant's costing me. Look what it's happening to my family. Look what's happening to my life. Look what's happening to my desires. And, and, and in that moment, the ship is gone. Are you happy, God? Okay, you, you're, you're smiling now. My ship's gone. It's tattered. It's bruised. It's torn down. Are you happy? Did you get what you wanted? And here's how I think what God responds to us. Craig, instead of looking at what the storm has cost you, why don't you focus on what I used this storm to bring you? Don't focus on what it's cost you. Focus on what it's brought you. Craig, you don't know how to swim. You don't know how to swim. And, and, and the ship has gone down. And the reason I let the ship go down is so that you would survive. Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to survive. And do and you see that thing floating in the water over there, son? You see that? What you call, I call a flotation device. Would you stop being so picky? What, 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 are you waiting for an elaborate rescue from a helicopter? What, what is it you're wanting, son? Oh, did you think because you've been in the storm so long, you deserve an, an exquisite, inexplicable helicopter rescue in the water? I mean, what, what are you... You see that? You see that? You see that plank? That, that is your flotation device. And Craig, instead of griping to me about the ship going down, why don't you celebrate as you float safely to the shore holding on to the plank you used to call a boat? See, but some of us, and I want you to hear me, we have been in a storm so long that we've begun to believe the lie that the longer we're in the storm, the more entitled we are to a heroically extravagant rescue. So here we are floating along, don't know how to swim. Waves are battering us. Why? Because we feel God has made us go through this storm for so long and we're saying to God, bring me the helicopter. I deserve to be extravagantly rescued. You should restore eight ships to me for taking that one ship. And what we do is we run the risk of drowning waiting on an extravagant rescue rather than just grabbing onto the plank. Craig, what are you talking about? I could give you so many examples. I'm going to give you just one of them, okay? There's so many ways. Let me bring this home to you. God told you that you'd be married. And it's taken 10 years, longer than you expected. 
And the longer you wait, the longer your list becomes of Prince Charming. And the longer your list becomes of Princess Charming. And you wait longer and longer and longer, and you've begun to believe that you now are entitled to a perfect man and a perfect woman. And so you will risk drowning, a.k.a. in this analogy, never getting married because you're willing to wait for the helicopter to rescue you and it's causing you to overlook the plank that God's put right in front of you to safely get you to the shore. And while that man or that woman might not be the fulfillment of everything you have on your list, it just might be the fulfillment of everything God has on his list for you. I'm here to tell you, you can use it however you want to use it. Peace isn't picky. When you're in the middle of a storm, you ain't looking for how you can survive. In that moment, you're not looking for, for what, what kind of extravagant rescue can I get. You're trying to find something so you can, you can get your feet to stop kicking and get your arms up onto a plank and begin to get some breath back into your lungs. Why? One of the reasons people don't have peace is because we would rather be picky than have peace. We would rather in that moment have it the way God wants to give it to us or the way we want God to give it to us then we would rather get it our way and our desire. Listen, I will never have peace if I'm willing to drown for that which God does not want me to have I won't get the peace so even in my own storms of life I have in those moments folks I have been asking God ask my wife I've been asking God for an extravagant rescue and some people including me get so focused on how I want to get to the shore that I don't even care anymore if I get to the shore and that's a dangerous place to be because real peace is not concerned with how. Peace that passes all understanding doesn't care if it's a miracle or the healing from a doctor. Real peace doesn't care. This isn't popular preaching, I know. Real peace doesn't care if it's my dream job or a job that just takes care of all my family's needs. We've bought into a wrong lie in America. That's what that, real peace don't care. Real peace says, I'm going to hold on to the, to the, to the plank. I'm going to make it to the shore. This is what God's provided me. I can keep on grieving about the boat that I had yesterday, or I can take a hold of the flotation vice that I have today. But I'm here to tell you, Luke chapter 8, it tells of this story of Jesus, right? We looked at it last week, of being in the boat with the disciples, right in the middle of the, the storm. And they set out, and what does he do? He falls asleep. And they were feeling the boat with water, and they were afraid. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The God who created winds and waves with words is napping while the wind and the waves seem to be winning. And it's filling with water and Jesus is still sleeping. Now y'all, that's some good sleep. And they wake him up. And by the way, it should be noted if Jesus is still sleeping, you're gonna be all right. If the thing you're afraid of was the thing he created, you're gonna be all right. And he's sleeping. And they say, Master, Master, we're done. And it's so ironic because here's the first observation I see of mystery. But some of you are in a mystery storm. Listen to me. The first observation I see of mystery, I'm done. You will always face your weakness in a mystery. And we think as humans that's bad. That's the problem. We keep ourselves busy all day long in the mystery. 
In the mystery, it's amazing how suddenly we are faced with our one weakness, our humanity, and we think that's bad. No, 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 no. It's not bad. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I feel weak, then God's strength can become my strength. And one of the best things that can happen to you and me is for us to face our weakness, which means we have to be entered into mystery. That's what a storm is. And we often grow up in churches where we can't tell people the truth. Right? Like, I'm mad. Now, don't tell people you're mad because if you confess that you're mad, you're going to be more and more mad. Well, God didn't come through for me. Well, don't say that. That's not faith. And, that, and when you don't have faith talking, then you're just going to ensure that it's going to... Master, we're dying! He didn't rebuke him. Oh, that's... No, they were honest. That's what they felt. They were in the mystery. They were... They were in that reality and a mystery is a great time for you and I to realize I can't do this anymore. I can't do this on my own anymore. And what happens? He awoke and rebuked the wind and the waves. Listen to me. The more you grow in your faith, the less you will take credit for anything. And you begin to realize that you literally can't do nothing without God's help and God's grace. And that's when you know you're growing in the faith. He's bigger than any storm you face, which means his love is greater than any storm you face, which means his peace is greater than any circumstance, which means no matter how big the storm is, his peace will still work. His peace will still work. Irony, a strong sense of calm, no matter what happens in my life. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.